HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Uh, you are listening to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Today's sponsor is TechServe. It's New York's premier authorized Apple reseller and service provider, serving individual customers, creative professionals, and Fortune 100 companies. TechServe has built a solid reputation on its expertise in technology, sales, and service. As a company that believes in honest and forthright business practices, TechServe is proud to sponsor Heritage Radio Network in the promotion of sustainable lifestyles. Well, welcome. It's a lovely day outside, but we are housed inside in the radio station behind Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Today's uh, show is actually about food stylists, and I'm very, very excited to have the two specimens I do today, <laughs> Sid Raptus McDowell and Victoria Granoff. Say hello. 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 And we're pretty much just going to discuss, because I think a lot of people think of food styling as what we were talking about before, um, you know, a lot of fake shit. (laughs) (laughs) You know, unreal elements, uh, food that you can't eat afterwards, that represents something completely different from the product you're working with. But that's not necessarily the case with these two women. Um, I'd like to start just with how you got into it. Sid, go ahead. Okay, Victoria's saying I have to go first. (laughs) Well, well, simply put, I was an actor, therefore I was a cook. And a a restaurant person, and a waitress, and a bartender, and a dishwasher, and a line cook, and a catering person. So um, that's how I supported myself through that exciting career, and um, ended up with many, many years' experience when I kind of turned the corner and went for food styling when I was about 40. Which was like yesterday. <laughs> I was just gonna say so not. Um, and I am I supposed to tell the part meeting how I met my mentor and stuff? Oh too? Yeah, 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 keep on going. Um, so I was looking for a new career, and I was um, 
hooked up with my friend Frank Way, who was working on B. Smith's television show, and I got to work with him and um, be sort of the um, assistant prop stylist, which was great. I love shopping, spending other people's money on pretty stuff. <laughs> I'm thinking, this is so fun. And then I met the food stylist on the show, um, Jeannie Voltz, who's a veteran, an amazing person, and she's like, why are you you know throwing away 25 30 years in the kitchen i said because i want to i don't want to cook anymore i don't want to drag beer cases up the stairs anymore so um, eliminate the like, idea of being a starving artist and just exactly. an artist yeah. and just an artist that's exactly <laughs> what it was and looking for a new creative outlet and so um she says work with me it's a mentoring process to 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 learn this part of the food world and um i liked it kind of the first time i worked with her and then i've been lucky since yeah so over to you. <laughs> yeah, and Victoria, um, you were a classically frame, uh, trained pastry chef at Le Cordon Bleu mm-hmm. and then worked at FIT in what kind of visual arts degree? Um, w- totally unrelated. Yeah. Totally unrelated. <laughs> it, that degree was really just a way to get my summer in Europe that my parents promised me if I got a college <laughs> yeah. degree. Yeah. I said, what would be fun? Okay, let's just do this. Oh. And I mean, it was some cockamamie, I don't even know what it was, interior merchandising some crazy thing it's a lot of words <laughs> you know it was a lot of yeah. words for nothing yeah. but um but you know what i did learn was i learned the basics of design and that's what you know i learned color and texture and movement and all of that stuff and that i really use every single day and then i was a chef and then i dated a food photographer and decided i was tired of messing around with pastries and salmon and yeah Oh, that looks good. Let's, you know, what, who makes the food that, that you photograph? And he said, food stylists. And I said, well, who's the best food stylist? And he gave me a list. And then the, I said, out of these, who's the very best? And he said, well, I didn't give you his name. He's nursing a really bad coke habit right now. And he's brilliant. But <laughs> just, I said, give me his name. So, and I'm not going to name names. Yeah. And so I called him first. And I said, listen, I hear that you're nursing a really bad coke habit. But that you're brilliant, and I want to learn from you, and I'll do it for free. Yeah. And a lot of what I did was to bail him out of jail a lot of times. But in between all those times, I really learned a lot from him. So, And yeah. a lot of what I didn't want to do, like spray-mounting sesame seeds on mm-hmm. hamburger buns. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's such... <laughs> Which is, I think, well, what you were talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, no, the completely. <laughs> I mean, I, I did the things where you roast turkeys by... Uh, you know, spraying floor right. shine on them and using yeah, heating elements. So, like, and, yeah. you know, the, the whole ice cream butter compound thing mm-hmm. that really isn't ice cream. And yeah, that it, it disgusted me seeing not only this food be prepared that way and presented that way, but being tossed and pitched at the end of the night that there wasn't that element of, you know, this is something edible that we can share with other people and not just try to push a product, you know, commercially. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's great to meet the two of you because I think the difference between your two work is how kind of lush and sometimes based in our history yours is and how hmm. fun and playful and real life uh, SIDS is. I mean, it, it really is a contrast, but you guys work in a very similar vein with very similar ingredients. Now, with your background, um, Victoria, do you find yourself using more of the basis of what you learned as a cook or what you learned as a d- designer? It's very much become one now. It's really, I mean, I look at every, I don't want to sound too, you know, I look at everything um, as sculpture. 
I mean, this right now, we're looking at a beautiful, beautiful tray of lettuce, and it's gorgeous. To me, that's sculptural. You can see the light coming off the left side of it. It looks it looks like a painting. So, I don't know. I, I kind of, my eye just kind of sees things that yeah. way. I mean, you, you did the Omnivore's Dilemma cover, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And it yeah, was very that. Dutch mm-hmm. alcove. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just like drawn from that. Are those influences intentional, too? I mean, what Dutch alcoves meant to how it was styled? Um, very intentional. And as I would say, maybe in the last six or seven years, now, one out of every three clients hands me a picture of a you know Dutch master <laughs> painting and says, oh, we want there. everything yeah. to look like this, you know. So when I started doing it, it was, that really came from my background in art. Yeah. You know, it's funny, too. I think a lot of that Dutch alcove work is very local vor, which is, you know, obviously, very. you know, from fresh oysters to lush stone fruit. So they, it was they, rotting. Oh, yeah, exactly. Which I love, yeah. too. I love the decay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, show that there was actual life through decay mm-hmm. of the food. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, Sid, what I found really interesting about your work is your work as an actress and putting a personality, you know, or a persona forth to get jobs really shows in your work as well. Like, I, I can see a Sid Raftus McDowell piece and really know that you had a hand in it and that it wasn't just manufactured, that you had some kind of say it, how it was being set up. What kind of elements do you think you bring to the table? Well, it was really helpful to hear what Victoria said, and I see that so much in your work. And, you know, your work wows me in that way. And I... Because you have an art background, which is, you know, something I long for. I just go to museums and try to be inspired, Mm. which is, you know, one thing. But interestingly enough, because I was trained as an actor, and you always ask yourself a bunch of questions when you're creating a character and trying to figure things out, and, you know, what was my previous circumstance? What do I want out of this moment? Um, Where will I be at the end of the play? And so... um, I feel like when I'm putting down a plate of food, I want to know where we are, who's going to eat it, you know, what are the circumstances of this. Um, I call it taking the journey. (laughs) So (laughs) everybody I work with says, oh, God, we're taking the journey again. But I mean it because I'll go like, oh, it's a kid's birthday party and they're having salad, like this beautiful salad. And well, how do we do that? So I think that kind of helps me. Um, you know, really put it in the moment and, you know, and be really fresh. And the question I ask myself, you know, before we're all done and it all looks beautiful is like, do I want to eat it? Yeah. That's Mm. a big question. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting what you said (laughs) that I've always had this uh, um, debate of kind of what mise en place is and what mise en scene. Um, And that you're thinking about what's outside of, you know, the photography or magazine box at eight by 10, whatever Mm -hmm. size it's printed, that there's stuff happening, you know? And I think both of your work show, I was looking at Victoria's work today and actually my favorite one was uh, the Uh cigarette butts with the (gasps) lipstick um, after the meal that showed absolutely no food. Perfect. You know, that one, that was a Belgian magazine and they said, we'll give you nine pages and we want you to do all this Belgian food. And they gave me the recipes and I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be so boring. <laughs> and the, the photographer pretends not to speak English. So I said, that's perfect. I'll just make what I want to do. You shoot it, and we'll see what happens. And I, in the end, we shot you know, the little heads off the quail instead of the quail <sighs> dishes. And the, anyway, it was, yeah, it was really a lot so, of fun. So you've worked internationally, and you have as well, Sid, right? 
Um, yes, yeah. I've been to a couple places, yeah. not as many as Victoria, but yes, I have. How do, how do you think um, the American aesthetic of food styling differs from those international clients? Is it more akin to their cuisines, their, you know, oh, mentalities? No. Huh. I can tell you what I... Yeah, can I just jump in us. here? Yeah. I'm sorry. I find that the the countries with the worst food have the most beautiful food styling <laughs> and the countries with the best food have the most ridiculous looking food photography yeah not naming names but <laughs> like that italian food magazines are comical they are comical yeah. and everything is oh i don't know it's like 1986 or something yeah and yeah. not naming names i know both of you have worked for italian clients food companies pasta pasta sauces do you find that in in those commercial gigs that it's so standardized? I mean, it just you know, <laughs> oh Victoria, definitely <laughs> something. To say. Oh, I only did one small pasta ad, and they let me do what I wanted, so I really can't complain. Over to you. Tell us a really good story. <laughs> we were working on this one pasta ad, and they were trying to put lentils and things into the pasta and it, at the time that they were doing this it was really tasting like nothing so i said now what do you want this plate of pasta to look like and they said we just want it to look good enough to encourage the customer to overcome the taste hurdle i said so wow. this really did they write like, that on the package i wrote it down <laughs> yeah. and i memorized it because that line that, wow. overcome the taste hurdle yeah I said, you know i think you should overcome the taste hurdle before we do this shoot now, going back to what you just said about countries and cuisines, you know, the, the worst looking actually have the most interesting styles. Um, do you have examples of certain dishes which you felt like you overcame their aesthetic to make such a beautiful piece? You know, I, I haven't done tons of work in other countries, but I would answer the question a little different way. I went to Uruguay and worked with an amazing chef there. And um, what I found was that, that he was so freestyle that it couldn't be bad. I mean, it was mm. it was beautiful. Yeah, it was like chef? a painting. Francis Malman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you work on the, the last cookbook you did? We, we shot the back cover. Yeah. And we did a, an, an article for another magazine. Yeah, Seven it was Fires. Is just Seven Fires. Yeah. It, it's very important. Everybody should own it and read it cover to cover. Oh. That was the best four days of my life, almost. So what I learned there, I mean, he walked down the street and picked his lettuce. I mean, mm. you know, they started baking the bread at four in the morning. There were seven kinds for breakfast yeah for four of us at my house they do the same it's thing it's like that <laughs> yeah my house too why haven't I been invited over we're neighbors sure. you can smell it down the street <laughs> so I didn't answer that question right but I just felt like there as that it was so simple and so not about it I really stepped back and said all I'm gonna do is make sure it looks fresh and you go well, I mean, I think it is a collaborative process. Yeah. I mean, that chefs have to work with stylists, have to work with photographers. And, you know, sometimes I step into a situation as a photographer and there isn't that willingness to budge. And, mm. you know, you need that space to all come together and understand that you're creating this as one and it has to show. We're going to use this as our break. Uh, we'll come right back. We have some pizzas coming in too to chomp on. I am Michael Harlan Turkel and you're listening to The Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network.
this is Michael Harlan Turkel, and you're listening to The Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network. I also wanted to encourage people to call in live, 718-497-2128. We're going to be live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Today's guests are Sid Raftis McDowell and Victoria Granoff, wonderful food stylists. And if you hear chewing, it's because we have delicious pizzas and salad in front of us. So excuse us now, because talking about these kind of subjects sometimes, uh, you know, aggravate the salivary glands and, you know, get us hungry. But I actually wanted to talk with specific people that you guys worked with. Um, Victoria, I, I had seen that you worked with Irving Penn um, mm. on a shoot. And, you know, he is an idol, very influential person in how I try to shoot and how I try to carry myself. How was I just want to know. I just want to know how that know. was. Um, I worked with Mr. Penn for 10 years. We spent a decade together creating the pictures that accompanied Jeffrey Steingarten's articles in Vogue. And, you know, I remember one time I had some, it was a very minimal, I think it was a lobster that we were shooting, I, maybe two or three elements on there. And something wasn't right. And he said to me, you know, it was just a piece of shell or something. He said, that's too important. It's just too important. Remove that. It's too important. And I thought, well, we're not going to have a story there if I don't put that piece of shell there. That completes this whole thing. And I thought, oh, God, all right, well, I better step back. And, you know, when you're talking about, Sid, when you're talking about um, telling a story with your styling, he would tell a story more in the negative space than in the positive Mm. space many times. Um, and it kept you there because you wondered what were people, what, what was happening before here? You know, what happened before and what are they headed towards and all that. But there were times when we would, we would um, turn up on set and he would light it, would put it down, he'd light it, fiddle for one second, and then we'd be gone at 10 o'clock in the morning because he knew when to stop. Yeah. And when you were just talking about that, you know, he just knew when to stop. Well, I think it's interesting that you guys bring up minimalism, um, mm-hmm. seeing that a lot of chefs sometimes feel like you have to not only fill the plate, but fill the table, but fill the restaurant and Ugh. fill it with PR and fill it in magazines that there's, and those re- you get full even before you get to the restaurant because there's <sighs> such a, a, an amount of media and you know imagery out there that sparse could be better. You know? It doesn't leave anything to your imagination. Exactly. And those ridiculous, ridiculous things of like rosemary that people put in the middle. Oh, the inedible stand garnish. them up yeah. in the Ooh, middle of a plate. What is that? What is that? Well, I don't even understand that. I'll have to admit one time I ate the banana leaf underneath sushi not knowing mm. what it was. Yeah. How was that? I don't know if I've ever passed it. Okay. I mean, yeah. But <laughs> I definitely scary. chewed it for a long, long time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> In classical cooking, you were never supposed to have an inedible garnish. Exactly. And Perfect. still see them all the time. It's, oh, it, it amazes me. Those rosemary trees. Um, I actually wanted to talk about a specific ingredient, uh, your book of pomegranates, you know, moving from mm. single element. It's just beautiful. I mean, it's just... Mm, thank you. I don't, I don't still know. in the works. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, your imagery, I'm so excited to see this thing, uh, realize that you're taking what a single entity mm-hmm. and just do you know in the republic of georgia they carve matrimonial beds out of pomegranate wood because it's a symbol of fertility wow. i just love that i do too that's nothing to do with food styling i just thought or antioxidants <laughs> antioxidants oh. yeah but they're a sexy fruit Come on. they're very very sexy they're very it is a fruit, it is a fruit. It's a fruit. uh-huh 
the seeds are inside. Yeah, because I was wondering, do you have a favorite ingredient to work with? Is it pomegranates for you? Is it, you know? No, because then the clients always ask for it out of season and you right. can't get it. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, That's the worst thing in the that world. That and figs. Really? That and figs, yeah. Favorite ingredient, I'm always glad to see. Things you can't mess with, like sardines. <gasps> like no. those always look great. Yeah. Like crazy gorgeous fish things i think mm. like pasta um um vongole anything oh, with shell yeah. shells yeah mm. so omega-3s and mollusks mm-hmm. yeah. yeah you can't you can't mess up with those or baby baby greens and little teeny tiny things the things you find in your own garden it's yeah. just like oh my god that's so beautiful it's a teeny tiny pea shoot what can i do with that it's got to mm. be somewhere <laughs> even if even if nobody really sees it you know it's there yeah, you know, right. it's like good night moon. Like ro- like Romanesco oh. cauliflower. Sure. Oh, that yeah. like Jean Paul Gaultier cauliflower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fractilian stuff. They always right. want that out of season. Too. Oh yeah, yeah. Completely. I mean, are there what other absurd requests do you get from clients about out of season goods? Black currants. Uh, black currants. That's fun. Yeah. Figs. Cantaloupes. Cantaloupes. Like right when they planted them, I couldn't find them. Yeah. So everybody, there was like not a cantaloupe here from this country. Oh God, it was kind of crazy. But I said I see a lot more of your work in the editorial mm-hmm. realm than yes. in the commercial, um, and worked with photographers like Quentin Bacon, um, you know Marcus Nelson, who have been on prior episodes and are wonderful. But you know John Koenig, David Luftus, Romulo Yanes. Uh-huh. Um, do you incorporate a lot of their personality in planning out? Absolutely. Yeah. Every one of those people you mentioned is among men, and I feel like there's a great deal of communication with all of them, and they're all allowed to touch my food. I'm like, kind of like, you know, I hand them a toothpick and say, here's your food styling kit. You just call me if you, you know, <laughs> you can't let everybody do that, but the, yeah. that team is amazing. Yeah, I feel it's incredibly collaborative. Yeah, where uh, Victoria right now is watching a shoot happening outside the studio in complete agape as to... <laughs> <laughs> As are we. It's a very interesting contrast um, because there really aren't any food stylists out there uh, helping out. So it shows how much of a collaborative nature, uh, you know, this field really is and how many, you know, cogs there are in the industry that are necessary to produce, you know, a wonderful page in a magazine. And speaking of magazines, covers versus spreads. Is there a different mode of thinking in styling for those? Or it's all kind of hmm. autonomous, page is a page, job is a job. If, like covers, they want you to really, it's a cover. It's yeah. made more dramatic. It means more to them than it, it means, does to yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, let's just do the cover. Do we have to try it 17 different ways? As long ways? as the check clears, yeah. it's all the same. I feel the same. <laughs> and then, you know, with commercial clients too, what is the importance of an ad? I mean... How often do you spend days upon days, 18-hour shifts, working for... I know, Victoria, you've done work for Absolute, Haagen-Dazs, Bistoff, and you've done... Uh, Sid's done stuff for Kadoba, um, Eli Zabar. And, mm, that's yeah. a good place yeah. to be. Yeah, yeah. That that's like a really fun. good place to be. But you should answer that because you have a lot more experience on that. Honestly, I'm just starting out on the ad world. What was the question again? <laughs> I mean, how produced our ads these days um how produced are ads these days well some of that is a technical photography question it's a you know computer post-production question um a lot less than they used to be uh a lot less than they used to be and i have one client who i'm not going to mention 
and we shot different elements part of their campaign rolled out a campaign earlier this year that had very distinct five very distinct elements in the in the ad it was beautiful and we shot those and we shot some other elements and then they composed all those five elements to make to create in their computer an additional ad that we had no yeah. part in putting together which fortunately they did it well but it, had they not that would have just killed me because they've taken all of the elements that we worked on and then composed some you know cockamamie yeah. thing yeah it's interesting that you mentioned that but composite. that's happening a lot oh yeah a lot i, I a see lot. it more and more with stock photos too that you take this single image and it's that much more valuable to at least micro stock mm-hmm. to be able to sell that because they put it as a piece rather than a whole and for the most part when i shoot you know i crop because that's how I want it to be on uh-huh. the page. Oh, and I think you work that same way. I mean, you're styling something right. as a single right. you know, ingredient because that's how you want to see it left alone as itself. And yeah, But they're crafty, those clients, because they'll say, oh, can we just try a variation with it like this? You know, we'll just, just, just shoot it. Just <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another angle. And my, my feeling is that any phrase preceded by the word just is going to be a pain in the ass. Can I say ass on this I show? second that. Yeah, yeah. You, you can, can say Can we just ass. move the camera? Can we just take that little... Can we just yeah. change the... Can we just, change that can we just get a pomegranate? That's a whole other shot there you're, yeah. you're asking for just. there, Tiger. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they think it's just playing with your food at some time. Oh, yeah. very good. That was a just sentence. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just. Very good. Caught it. Um, I wanted to talk about that difference between studio and location then, in that a lot of Sid's work being editorial, how do you create a studio setting or, you know, your mise en place? How do you get ready for a situation like that? I just make many lists. I'm a good delegator. <laughs> and I'm very organized. And also, you know, sometimes your assistants are great resources. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm not anything that you just mentioned, oh. but my assistant is. Oh, yeah. Well, you got to, you know, you pick the great person. If I'm not great at, like, you know, doing French pastry, which I'm so not, I'm like, either don't hire me or let me make sure I get this assistant mm-hmm. who knows how to do it. And also sourcing things is so important and trying to know where to find things, like pomegranates out of season, like any kind of thing you might need knowing the city and knowing purveyors around the country and sometimes even just knowing farmers yeah Mm. so it's a little more than mediation um yeah it's half your time i mean when you get to the studio i feel like i'm breathing a sigh of relief because the homework is done and Mm. this is play time and create time well do you guys use any odd tips or tricks of food styling that people think you know the fake ones the what what are the most important ones to outright learn at the offset? I feel I don't like actually we're kidding. know. <laughs> I shouldn't be telling. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't I know like hardly a... any. And and I told one that I'm not telling it again. Yeah. Oh, so it's like magician stuff. You guys can't. Tell. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you one really. Yeah. If you take pine saw and you and you put it on raw cheese, it makes it look like it's melted. <gasps> It melts it. Can I steal that? Yeah, from you sure. And oh, that's so gross. <laughs> that, yeah, I know, isn't it? And mm. it just kind of there's a solvent. Mm. Yeah. In wow. probably the cheese also, but there's a solvent in you know the pine sol that sort of works with 
whatever's in the cheese. Oh, oh, it works wow. with processed cheese. I don't know if it works with good cheese. You wonder how people found these things out. But oh, they probably spilled a bottle of pine salt. <laughs> oh, on the dropped the cheese on the ground, picked it up, <laughs> looks good. cleaned it up. Oh, yeah. It's nice and melted. <gasps> That's awesome. Yeah. I just That's spray funny. with water and olive oil, and you know, usually, and then I get really mad if the food sits for too long because I don't know Ugh. very many tricks. Yeah. But we are not going to go there, are Ugh. we? Yeah. No, I mean, I don't think what it should be a bag of tricks. I think it should be as sustainable in real life as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I should. I think it shows. Yeah, mm-hmm. it definitely does show. And not only is this playfulness, but when you get a product and you expect it to be one way and it's not, you know, this, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say leaves it latitude, but leaves a true personality to it, a true human personality yeah. to it, rather than just this overproduced commercial. Mm. Yeah, has thing. life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Victoria, yes, your Michael. sweet Sicily, the story oh, of an island and her pastries. Yes. Yeah. How often do you get to do jobs like that? Because I want to do that. Oh, well, yeah. that was my book. I wrote the book. Yeah, I yeah. did the whole thing. Every 10 years, we're, yeah. we're due for one. Yeah. <laughs> I have to come up with an idea. Yeah. But so, that was for my love of pomegranates. Yeah. Because that's the whole Persephone's island and that whole myth about the pomegranates took place in Sicily. So how often do you guys get to pitch your own ideas and jobs or are you usually hired for someone else's vision initially? I'm usually hired for somebody else's vision, but yeah, I want to write something and have some, you know, we I have ideas. But when we worked on with Cookie, yeah. we got to do our own we did. stuff. We each had our own. We had our own things. columns yeah. in there. We got to do our own stuff. That's fun. Yeah, it was. It's really fun. See, I think it's food stylists need more of a voice rather than just like a, you know, deft hand sometimes mm-hmm. i do get to pitch some things but they're rarely food re- i mean they're like cosmetic jobs or beauty jobs that involve food and so the those clients are more apt to to go for something than food clients are so you guys must be avid cooks or do you deal with food so much on set that you don't care to cook at home well, I know, Victoria, you have a whole bunch of stuff rotting in the backyard. Stuff rotting in the back. My fermentation didn't work, yeah. so I'm on to, to something else. I like, it depends on the week. Some weeks are so all-consuming that I'm just like, I, mm. I can't do it. I want a yogurt, a banana, and if somebody makes me a cup of tea, I feel like somebody's made me beef bourguignon, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So it depends, but I get impassioned, you know, especially seasonally and having a garden and finding mm. what's, that just makes me want to run home and cook something but awesome. is it is it hard for you guys to cook and plate at your own house, having this stylist background? Are you sitting there tweaking a dish forever before Not you bring it out? And, <laughs> Not you know? Not at all. I have this one plate. I have a six-year-old son, and I have this one plate that actually has a face in the plate. And then you create, you know, you create the hair and the features of this face with food. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Out of food, you know. And I find myself sitting there and cutting up my things and making little mustaches on. He's not at all interested, but I like to do that. (laughs) That's fun for you. Yeah, but it's kind of it's like also kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't do that normally. I just want to thank you two so much for being on the show and I hope you guys out there are listening and uh, know that don't ever stop playing with your food because you could eventually become a food stylist. (laughs) No, there is a profession out there. Tell your parents. (laughs) So this is Michael Harlan Turkel. You're listening to the food scene on Heritage Radio Network. Wanted to thank our sponsor TechServe again, our producer Jack Inslee, our engineer Nat Wiener, and uh, hope to see you next Tuesday at three. Give us a call. 